must be the nurses and doctors, every medical staff bent over flesh to offer care, for lives saved and lives lost, for showing up either way. Praise for the farmers tilling soil, planting seeds so food can grow, an act of hope if ever there was. Praise be the janitors and garbage collectors, the grocery store clerks and the truck drivers barreling through long, quiet nights. Give thanks for bus drivers, delivery persons, postal workers, and all those keeping an eye on water, gas, and electricity. Blessings on our leaders making hard choices for the common good, offering words of assurance. Celebrate the scientists working a way to understand the thing that plagues us to find an antidote and all the medicine makers. Praise be the journalists keeping us informed. Praise be the teachers finding new ways to educate children from afar and blessings on parents holding it together for them. Blessed are the elderly and those with weakened immune systems, all those who worry for their health, praise for those who stay at home to protect them. Blessed are the domestic violence victims on lockdown with abusers, the homeless and refugees. Praise for the artists and poets, the singers and storytellers, all those who nourish with words and sound and color. Blessed are the ministers and therapists of every kind, bringing words of comfort. Blessed are the ones whose jobs are lost, who have no savings, who feel fear of the unknown nine. Blessed are those in grief, especially who mourn alone. Blessed are those who have passed into the great night. Praise for police and firefighters, paramedics, and all who work to keep us safe. Praise for all the workers and caregivers of every kind. Praise for the sound of notifications, messages from friends reaching across the distance. Give thanks for laughter and kindness. Praise be our four-footed companions with no forethought or anxiety, responding only in love. Praise for the seas and rivers, forests and stones who teach us to endure. Give thanks for your ancestors, for the wars and plagues they endured and survived. Their resilience is in your bones and your blood. Blessed is the water that flows over our hands and the soap that helps keep them clean each time a baptism. Praise every moment of stillness and silence so new voices can be heard. Praise the chance and slowness. Praise be the birds who continue to sing the sky awake each day. Praise for the primrose poking yellow petals from dark earth. Blessed is the air clearing overhead so one day we can breathe deeply again. And when this has passed, may we say that love spread more quickly than any virus ever could. May we say this was not just an ending, but also a place to begin.
Hello, welcome to worship. My name is Pastor McHale. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and I greet you on this Easter Sunday. I invite you to respond to these words. He is risen. We say together, he is risen indeed as an affirmation of what has happened, and as a reminder that if resurrection is possible for Jesus, it is possible for us all. I invite you to listen to words that are sung and prayed and preached today. And as we gather in a very different kind of way than we've ever gathered on Easter before, I think the invitation is for us to imagine anew what the hope of resurrection is for us and to remember that the last thing, the worst thing, is never the last thing. And if it feels like the last it just means we're not at the end of the story yet. So I invite you to sing, to find ways to rejoice and join in as we worship together this Easter Sunday.
Lord, we praise your name for you are our resurrected King. And how grateful we are that we can gather in this way today to proclaim that and celebrate that. Lord, we are so grateful for the ways in which you have and are continuing to do a work of resurrection in our lives. So Lord, we pray that that resurrection power would continue to move in us, in our city, and in our world, making all things new. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we say together, amen. My name is Danny Gehring, and I am coming to you from my dining room, which has been converted into a home office at this point, in the Venice neighborhood of Oklahoma City. So, today, we're not gathering in person, in the same physical space, but we are gathering. The words I'm about to say, and that you're about to say, will be on your screen, so I invite you to say your part out loud. Yes, out loud, seriously. Wherever you are, however you're watching, say it out loud, because we are all saying this together. Okay, so we gather here to tell the truth. We do not have our lives together, and on our own, we can't get them together. We confess that we are poor, and we are hungry and thirsty for what we cannot provide ourselves. We need God's grace, and we need each other. We gather here to tell the truth, that while we were still sinners, God died in solidarity with us. And now you and I are forgiven, set free, and adopted into a good family. You and I are not alone. We belong to God and to one another. We are God's people, people who are rich and satisfied, a people of peace, reconciliation, and love. So today, we gather here to tell the truth. Our lives are better when we are neighbors. We are not all the same, but we are all ready for transformation. We gather here to tell the truth. We will be a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. So right now, we are practicing being good neighbors, even as we take on the challenge of social distancing in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. But we want to make sure that distance doesn't mean isolation. So for the next three minutes, we're going to practice being good neighbors by checking in with at least one other person. As always, we want to remember to include our kids in this, especially right now. They're away from their friends. They need that social contact, too. You can send a message to a kid through their parents, or if you don't have their parents' contact info, send it to Pastor Hope. She'll pass it along for you. So with that in mind, take a second right now. Ask God to give you a name or two to check in with. Who are you checking in with right now? Okay. So if a person comes to mind that you don't have contact information for, send it on to Pastor Chris or Pastor Mikhail, and they will pass it to the person. And now for the next three minutes, write a short message expressing that this person is on your mind, Ask how they're doing, ask how you can pray for them, ask how you can support them, see what they need, and then have that conversation. Even though we can't be with our neighbors, we can still be neighbors. If you don't have anybody to text, you can text me, that's fine. I'll chat with you.
All right, you ready to practice good neighbors? Three, two, one, go. Each week in worship, we take time to hear one another's stories. And so this week, we are listening to the story of the Kaimig family as they share with us what they have been doing in their home over the last few weeks and also where they are seeing glimmers of resurrection. You are invited to share your story as well. And if you'd like to do that from your own home, please let me know. Send me an email or a comment um, as you're watching this and we'll get you set up with a way to tell your own story too. For now, please watch the Kaimig family and celebrate the good news that you hear them share. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm Hope. I'm Dan. I'm Grace. I'm Julia. And Caleb is playing somewhere around here. Um, and we are coming to you from our living room in Edmond. So like many of you, we've been social distancing the last few weeks and primarily staying home. Um, included in all of that, Grace's school has transitioned to distance learning. Um, as a counselor, all of my work has transitioned to teletherapy with my clients. Um, and obviously Hope's work has moved to um, primarily remote as well. Um, as some of you may know, the last few years I have been working through the process of becoming a, um, a professional counselor, um, which has included candidacy, school, multiple jobs at a time, uh, multiple evenings a week, which has been a, a good process, but one that I think has been very tiring um, and has taken a toll on our family. Um, and we have kind of found ourselves in a grind that has left us um, separate and isolated in, in a different way. So when all of this happened, when everything shut down and we were told that we needed to stay home, I confess that my first emotions were not uh, full gratefulness and thankfulness. I was more full of fear and anxiety and uncertainty. Um, and it was just a lot of confusion, I think. But um, as the weeks have gone on, it's been like three or four weeks almost now, um, I have been really grateful for the ways that my kids in particular have opened up my eyes to all of the good things that are still present among us. And so I've been grateful for the different weekly practices that Mikhail has offered us, particularly last week where we went walk through the lament. Um, but I think my kids have been really helpful in the practice of offering up gifts of new life. And so the questions that we have been asking around our house have been questions like, um, what is the best thing about staying home together? What do you guys think has been the best thing about being at home? Going on walks. And yeah. staying with our family. Staying with our family, yeah. We have been going on a lot of walks every day, one or two a day. <laughs> Um, and we're doing one today. And we're going to go on one today. We're and that has cooking. been a gift. We have not had much time for walks before this, huh? Yeah. yeah. So another question we've been asking is, what helps you to feel safe when you're feeling scared? Frozen and lemonade. Gracie well, has a special blanket that helps her to feel. Frozen blanket. Uh -huh. and, I, and I have a, a blanket that named purple. And Julia and has she a purple. purple. And it's snuggled. And those help you to feel safe. Do you know what helps me feel safe whenever I feel scared? Huh. It's being really? together with my family. That nice. helps me feel safe. I thought you were going to say your blanket. I do have a nice blanket, don't I? Mm -hmm. A cozy I like special to be together. blanket. Mm -hmm. um, and then let's end with this question. What is the best news that you have heard the last few weeks? Uh, I listened to your podcast and I heard that um, people still get to go to work now. Gracie heard this morning on a podcast that some people are recovering from the coronavirus and are able to get back to work. And that is really good news. And, that some people are getting better. Yeah. And, and, really and my sister. You know what else is feeling better? What? Um, 
Yeah. Okay, so so these are the kinds of questions that have helped me to see the good that's in the midst of all of the grief and the lament. I actually don't think that uh, the good negates the bad. I think that um, they're kind of two sides to the, of the same coin. I think that you can't have resurrection without death. You can't have healing without uncovering an old wound, right? And so I think that what this process has been for me is that the grief is still present. It is still very much rising to the top. But the good, life-giving things have helped. Um, they have cleared things up. It has felt like the grief has clarified and focused in on what is good. It has given us time to see what has always been there. That these good gifts, like taking walks together as a family and just have, enjoying one another as a family, they have always been there. Those gifts have always been there, but this time, this experience has given us time to see them in a new way. And so I've been really grateful for the gift like that, and um, I've been grateful for those kinds of gifts. So um, I think that we are able to see with new eyes, particularly because of our kids, the gifts of resurrection and new life that are all around us and that are springing up every day. It's given us the clarity and the focus to see that. So thank you for letting us share a bit about our time here. Um, and we are continuing to pray to pray for you, and we can't wait to see you all in person someday soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Grace and Julia. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Pastor Hope. And even thanks to Caleb for playing quietly so long by yourself so that your family could share their story with us. Um, each week in worship, we take time together to receive an offering. And this is still something that we want to give time to even as we're not passing baskets. You can see on your screen there are several ways for you to give. And if you have not yet tried giving online, I want to invite you to do that even now. Um, it's pretty painless and effortless process, but it allows us, um, those of us who are on staff and our church board and treasurer, to not have to do any extra um, work to go to the bank or pick up checks here from the church. So I invite you to do that. And we are grateful for your continued generosity as we are looking for ways to serve one another and serve others in these lean days. A couple of announcements for us as we are um, practicing giving our gifts. Um, we have a couple of opportunities for service that have been, um, people have reached out to the church. Our neighbors at St. Anthony Hospital and also the Regional Food Bank have provided some opportunities for us to serve by making masks or picking up food deliveries. And so if you are available, if you are not in a high-risk category, if you are available during the day to serve and help out. Um, we would love to invite you into these. You can find the information in the notes section or the comments section if you're watching on Facebook. You can also find more information in our e-newsletter that goes out throughout the week and on social media as well. 
And then finally, this week, we will continue in our midday prayer times. That's on Monday and Wednesday at 1230. And it will be very similar to what we did yesterday if you were there for um, the Holy Saturday midday prayer time. It usually lasts about a half an hour at most, but it's an opportunity for us to gather virtually over Zoom, see one another's faces, hear the prayers of the saints, and then join our own to them. And it's been a tremendous gift and blessing to me, and I think it will be for you as well. Before we continue in worship, I want to invite you into a time of prayer. And um, so I invite you to take whatever posture is um, comfortable for you where you are. We don't often kneel while we're together in worship, but I have found for myself that I have wanted to kneel in prayer more than ever in these days. And so I invite you to kneel as we pray together, if that works for you. So Lord, as we come to you on this Easter Sunday, we recognize that you are indeed our risen Lord. And yet we also recognize that there seems to be a lot of death, fear, emptiness, loss, and grief around us. When we think of those who we know throughout the world and even those within our own congregation who have been sick, who are sick or who are waiting to hear if they are currently sick with the COVID-19 virus. Our hearts cry out and we ask for you to provide healing. We think of those in our congregation and those we know throughout our nation and around the world. Uh, but specifically, we lift up those in our own congregation who are going without a paycheck right now whether that is because the work has dried up and they are their own business owner or because they're on extended sick leave and they have no sick time or because they have been furloughed or let go or because they've been denied unemployment. Whatever the case may be, we lift up these persons to you and we ask that you would provide for them. Provide what they need. We pray, Lord, for those in our congregation and those around us outside and beyond our congregation who daily struggle with food insecurity, who don't know where their next meal will come from and these days make it all the more difficult. We pray that you would answer our prayers together that they and we would be given our daily bread. And Lord, we ask, we pray with the psalmist, that in these days where it feels like we so desperately need someone to guide us, that we would know you as our good shepherd. That we would find that in you we have all we need. Would you lead us, good shepherd, to rest in green pastures and beside peaceful streams, and would you restore our souls? Would you guide us along the paths that are right so that we can bring you honor and show your love? 
And even now when we walk through the darkest valley, whether it is us as individuals or on behalf of our friends or people throughout the world whose stories we watch, as we walk through the darkest valley of the shadow of death, would you protect us from fear? Because we know that you are close beside us and you have walked this way before. Would you prepare a feast for us, even in the presence of our enemies, fear and death? Would you honor us with your presence, anointing our heads with oil so that our cups overflow with blessing? And may we know, proclaim and celebrate that your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue us all the days of our lives and that we will live in the house of you, our resurrected Lord, forever and ever. And together we say, amen. Greetings, 8th Street Church. I greet you in the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reading today from uh, Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we all say together, thanks be to God. He is risen. Well, I want to say that uh, I want to say welcome to this time of worship, and I'm grateful to my friend David Busick for reading this wonderful piece out of the book of Philippians. Some say that this is a piece older than the Bible itself. Some say that the early church sung this hymn, uh, recited this poem about the living Christ before Paul even wrote this letter to the Philippians. It's a wonderful piece. It's a poetic piece, a hymn-like piece. And there is nothing quite like poetry. As a high school student and athlete, I, I 
turned my nose to writing or to story, poems. Things of an artistic nature were disregarded. But I'll just admit to you, I will confess, I, I, I was ignorant. Small-minded as most high school male adolescents are, there were just a couple things on my mind, and poetry was not one of them. Neither were the arts. In the mid-1990s, there was this great little movie that came out that hit pop culture, and in my opinion, was extremely prophetic. It was called Mr. Holland's Opus. The plot of the movie followed a music teacher, Mr. Holland, who spent three decades in public schools teaching music. And at the, at the apex of the movie, the school board decided that it just could no longer carry the music or the arts departments because of a, a, because of a budget shortfall. We've, we've heard that story before. And so in this movie, spoiler alert, Mr. Holland was let go. Fools believe that the arts can be cast away. And I've heard it said that arts are only there to support the main events in society and culture, like sports and the economy and technology. But wise cultures don't see art and music standing on the margins of society. Instead, wise cultures, cultures understand that music and the arts are the centerpieces of society. And this was the lesson that Mr. Holland tried to teach all those years. We want a world that is explainable. We want a world where you can wrap the scientific method around it and let it prove something to us. But music and art and poetry doesn't really explain anything, and it doesn't rationalize anything. It just, it just shows us what already is or what is coming to be. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite writers, said, the poet is the person who uses the words not primarily to convey information, but to make a relationship, shape beauty, form truth. And the early church, well before the Bible was even put together, read this poem and sang it as a hymn. And Paul, all of Paul's understandings of God, who God was, what God was all about, what, what God even looked like, what God did, all of that was articulated in this ancient poem. This ancient poem is an Easter poem. When it comes to the Easter story, it's the gospel writer Matthew that has piqued my interest. This gospel writer has an interesting way of using words as well, like what poetry does. And while he's not poetic in the same way that Paul is, his, his use of words are extremely powerful. Each one of the gospel writers have their, their own version of the Easter story. In Mark, the women who encountered an angel in an empty tomb ran off and they didn't tell anybody. Luke tells his resurrection story and he says that it happened at supper on Sunday evening. And then John, the gospel writer, says all, all this took place in the dark. But Matthew, on the other hand, he, he recalls it in a different way. You know the story of Jesus, betrayed by his own people. He was shouted down by his former teachers. There he is, Jesus of Nazareth, was then handed over to the enemy Rome, who used a torture device on him that made the lowest of the low even lower. I'm not sure if we can call it good, but that first Good Friday showed that the worst that human beings can imagine, they can absolutely carry out. 
And this year's Good Friday message has come to us loud and clear as well. The world is a deadly place. But you have the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew does something interesting. He makes an interesting move. He uses curious words, and he, and he says, Early, early that Sunday morning, the women went to visit the tomb, and just when the sun was coming up, there was this massive earthquake. An earthquake is how he describes it. I remember my first earthquake. It was, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. It was about 10.45 at night. Holly and I were watching the news. The kids were in bed when the house started rattling. It, it, it was tossing us back and forth, and it just would not stop. The earthquake lasted, I don't know, about 45 seconds or so, but it seemed like an eternity. And then our son, Watson, who was about seven or eight years old, came bursting through the door, his eyes as big as saucers. And Matthew says those women on that morning felt the earth quake. It shook underneath their feet. Now there could have been a literal earthquake that happened at the exact moment they went to the tomb. I'm not one to argue with the eyewitnesses or the experts or even the gospel writer. But I suspect that Matthew, who is a genius with words, is trying to describe something that's altogether different than than that which is right before our eyes. Right before our eyes, this right here in the present is the ticker tape. It's the stock market numbers. It's, it's the newsreel. Global reports are right here. Global reports of the number of sick are right here. The number of those with the virus, they're right before our eyes. The 6.6 million that have applied for unemployment, that number is right here. And we see this pain right here every day. Ernest Hemingway said, life breaks everyone. And those are the kinds of things that are right in front of, it, in front of us. These are the things that we focus on. These are the realities of the world that we live in today. And when something is unexplainable, we use hyperbole. An example, I just used it a minute ago, his eyes were as big as saucers. We think about that which is right here, but then when something, when, some, when, we're, when we're taken aback by something that is so unusual that it seems supernatural, like those women experienced on that day, we use words like, the ground shook underneath me, because it doesn't make sense with what's right here. Now, any scholar will tell you that Matthew is the gospel writer who, uh, on the one hand, is looking at the elements of that stuff right here, that stuff in the present. But at the same time, he, he has the ability to set his sights on also on, or on what is in the future or what is to come. He can somehow write while keeping his focus in two places. The present, the stuff that's right here, and the future, the now, the stuff that is before us, and the stuff that is not yet. And the way he does that is by using words that are really, really out there. They're otherworldly, they're eschatological, they're apocalyptic type words. Now the Pharisees were these snarky antagonists of Jesus and and they believed at the far end of time, there in the future, there would be this, this event that God would orchestrate. 
And they called it the resurrection of the dead. It was way out there in the future, way, way, way at the end of time. But Matthew, while keeping his eye on the present events, the stuff that is right here, says the earth quaked. And what was supposed to happen at the end of time, way out in the future, the best that God had to offer, the raising of the dead to new life, came rushing from the future and landed right here in our present. Jesus of Nazareth was resurrected. The Messiah was resurrected, which means the best of what God has to offer has been coming from the future, from God's future, into our now, into this stuff. And that is just so hard to take in. So one of the things that we do is we look to explain it. We want to take the stuff of yesterday and, and try to take yesterday's experience and try to reframe a, a resurrection within that. That God brings new life to people. That doesn't make sense. That God raised his son from the dead. That just doesn't make sense. Our personal experiences become the descriptions for what, for what we didn't expect because we don't know how to make sense of that. In this season, which is one of the lentiest lents we have ever faced, we long for resurrection. We want it. But to tell the truth is to say that we want an explainable resurrection. Unlike Matthew, our focus seems to just rest here in the present. How will I make it through this quarantine? When will this be over? Will I have a job? What will happen to the economy? My house is a disaster. My kids are a mess. I hate homeschooling. I don't have enough to eat. I am so lonely. That is the stuff of right here. It's the stuff of, uh, stuff of death and defeat and disease. It's Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. These are things that we can explain. They fit within our experiences. But if resurrection has taken place in the way in which Matthew explains it, we are now confronted with new God possibilities that just do not fit our mental capacities or our past experiences. We want a resurrection, and we think we know what resurrection is. We want a resurrection that looks like the Dow Jones spiking, the 401k secure, the house, housing market being solid. We want that kind of a resurrection, but God's resurrection calls us to acknowledge that God is actually in charge. We want a resurrection that restores yesterday, that puts things back in place so that they make sense again. But resurrection is about God's future coming out from the future into our now. We want a resurrection that gives back the things that we miss, graduation, prom, a chance to play sports again, the ability to be with our loved ones. But resurrection is God's way of actually altering the world. We want a resurrection that is predictable and steady. But Jesus' resurrection creates an earthquake. We want a resurrection, but we also want a world unrocked. And those two things just do not go together. You know, Sundays, uh, Sundays are supposed to be the, the constant reminder that we live in a, in a world where resurrection has taken place. And most of the churches that I grew up in, most of the churches that I attended before this one, had worship. They, they worshiped together on Sunday mornings. 
And there on Sunday mornings, as soon as the benediction was said, as soon as the doxology was sung, people would hit the doors. And the reason why is because they got to beat the crowds to get to lunch, of course. And the preacher would say, hey, everybody, Jesus is alive. And the crowds would respond, that is great. I will celebrate at the Golden Corral. That sentiment is exactly what we, re we, what we read and we find in Luke's gospel. In the Gospel of Luke, the disciples hear about the resurrection of Jesus and they say, wow, that's amazing. Who's up for lunch? Because resurrection doesn't fit our experience. Maybe this is why the women ran and told no one in the Gospel of Mark that the tomb was empty. It is, resurre resurrection is unexplainable. So because we can't explain it, we go back to the things that we've always done. And, and there is just not a rational way, a rationalistic way of thinking about resurrection. That's just the thing. You really can't explain resurrection. Resurrection explains us. Lunch, school, anxiety, worry, fear, death, defeat, those things are utterly expected. They're utterly explainable, but nobody not the women and certainly not the men and absolutely not us ever expected Easter. Resurrection, life restored, victory offered, healing known, joy in filling, hope giving, peace overwhelming, love unending. It leaves our heads spinning, but according to Matthew, it has come from the future and it has rushed into our present and plopped itself down just like an angel on, the on a stone in the middle of this world during this present time, and no one could have ever expected that. I think that may be why in this scene, Matthew says that the, when the women looked up, there they saw him. He was an angel of the Lord with his elbow propped up on his knees, smirking with a cocky grin, sitting on that stone like he owned it or something. Because maybe he did. God had taken charge of the world, and the world as we thought we knew it isn't what we thought at all. The angel, the one who was there to announce God in the womb, was there to announce that God had escaped the tomb. An earthquake, an angel. It's a scene that we cannot fully wrap our minds around. But Matthew gives us a gift. And the gift is that we can imagine it. That God, it would seem, has interrupted the pace of this world in a new and a decisive way which is evidence, again, that God isn't interested in what we want. He is interested in providing what we need. Maybe that's why Matthew says the soldiers were there comatose. They were shocked in a trance-like state. And maybe that's how we feel right now. Maybe that is how we feel. And in doing so, in feeling that, we become a character in the plot. We're dumbfounded stunned, upended. We have no capacity to explain or to rationalize what has happened. But we are learning that this part is absolutely true. There is a God that is dead, and he isn't coming back. He's the God that we made in our own image. He's dead. He's the God that fits our categories. He's dead. He's the God that can be measured and explained and is simplistic. That God is dead. The God that 
that works always to get us out of a pinch. He's dead, and he's staying dead. You know, in ancient days, poems were written about gods like that. Poems were written about great leaders, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and Augustus. And those leaders, even like leaders today, attempted to proclaim to everyone, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is how glorious I am. And Rome would hail these as kings, emperors, lords. They would say that they're the savior. They would even say they're God. But again, poetry doesn't serve to explain anything. It serves to show what things truly are and what things are going to be. And in the first century, Paul takes this first century poem and he sings to the Philippians the story of Holy Week, reminding his readers and us that, that something about Jesus and his resurrection has redefined the world and it has redefined what it actually means to be God. And this poem is clear to proclaim that Jesus, not Alexander, or Julius, or Augustus, is God. And it's clear to proclaim who God is and what God is all about. And Matthew says the earth shook because the truth is revealed in, in resurrection. Jesus is the reality of which Caesar is the parody. Caesar is just a sham trying to be like God but completely missing the mark. But King Jesus, the God in flesh, the one who was and who was the very essence of God, emptied himself of all earthly glory, of all expectations, of all the opportunities and conquest. He was crucified, died, and he buried. And while we try to see resurrection through the categories of yesterday, in the risen Jesus, God's great future, Matthew says, has plowed into our present, completely altering, reshaping and reforming our thoughts of God. And on that Easter morning, when the angel pushed away the stone and propped up on it with a, with a cocky grin, the earth quaked and humanity saw that this is how the world was going to change, not through rationalization, conquest, wealth, prestige, or promises, not through forces of power, but through a force, a power called love. My brother, whose name is Matthew, says something I think is really significant. So hear the gospel from my brother Matthew. Resurrection is now the rule. It's not the exception. Our great and final hope is that we who are in Christ will one day be raised in Christ. But until that day, the church will proclaim that death does not have the last word. So here, my friends, this wonderful poem. He, King Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge 
that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. We were waiting without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you died
So how do we respond to an earthquake? How do we look for what is not expected? How do we recognize it when it comes? I think those are the questions that we ought to ask ourselves. And as part of that, I want to offer us an invitation into our weekly practice of leaving margin. I don't know about you, but for me, I have had a lot of my normal things taken away in the last couple of weeks, and yet I continue to fill that space with other things, a lot of social media, a lot of watching, a lot of screen time. And so this week I want to invite us into a practice of leaving empty space, allowing margin so that we can be aware of, take notice of, and celebrate the unexpected resurrection that rises up in our midst. So for you, this might look like taking a break between scheduled activities, like a brief time outdoors or just sitting in the silence. Or maybe if you're at home with kids like me, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of scheduled activity or break time. And so maybe you would think about scheduling margin for yourself at the beginning of your day before your work begins, whatever that is, and at the end of the day where we actually leave some space before we fall to sleep and allow ourselves to sit in that stillness and receive whatever it is unexpected that God has to offer. Uh, before we sing and receive our final words of benediction together, I want to invite you to hear and receive these words Maybe even hold out your hands to receive this blessing. Friends, may you know the joy of the resurrected Christ. May you feel an earthquake of unexpected resurrection coming at you into your present. He is risen. Amen. Would you sing and share these words of benediction before we go? for